the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Seared podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site, covering, of course, your Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Seth Cox, my co-host from RevengeTheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, is with me in this second show of the week. This is our preview show. It's one of two preview shows we try to do every week um, as we as we kind of change things up this this year. Uh, on Tuesday, we had our review show, looked back at, at the Cardinals-Cowboys games. Now we turn the page uh, and we will look ahead to the San Francisco 49ers in Week 4, what the Cardinals have to do. Uh, our third show will be a guest show with uh, Niners Wire's Kyle Madsen. That'll, that'll drop on Saturday morning after, after this show drops on Friday. And and yeah, so Seth, we get a look ahead to to the 49ers and and and, and when we talk about the show, we want to look we want to talk about, you know, what the 49ers are or what they do, kind of look at matchups and keys and and of course, we'll make our preview our our picks and predictions and prop bets again. I I did terrible on my prop bets, but it don't doesn't it feel like entering this week? There is a different perspective about the Cardinals going into this week, especially after pulling off what they did last week. Yeah, I think there's a combination of a different perspective and, and people being cautiously optimistic about the fact that the Cardinals are 3-0 against the spread. And so, you know, while that doesn't account for wins no. in the NFL. Good teams win, it, great teams cover, as they say. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's and that's what makes it difficult is that it you want to – in this instance, if you're a better or you're looking at this game, you want to look at that 14-point line and you say, well, that's not enough. The 49ers are at home. They've rolled through teams. The Cardinals still lack talent, comparatively speaking. This is an easy call. and and But the fact that they're 3-0 against the spread, that gives everybody pause. And so then you have to dig in. You say, okay, well, what can the Cardinals do? Where do they match up that they can – they can keep this to a 31 you know 31 18 type of game right or a 31 20 type of game where they lose by double digits but they cover a 14 point spread and and continue to be the team that that wins against the spread but also keeps it closer than most people expect yeah and for me it's it's you know expecting like the, this game the game last week those were considered you know no chance games and these were games where they're going to get blown out uh, Last week we were concerned about them being embarrassed. I don't know with how they play if we're going to see them be embarrassed this year. Is if they continue, and barring you know, like major injury issues, they have injury issues. But barring some like, it just feels like they're not. They're, they're going to be competitive-ish. Even even in the game they're supposed to get blown out, they're not going to be blown out, blown out. It's not going to be like that, you know. 40 to nothing, 30 to 10, you know, even 30 to 12. It, you, you feel like these games are going to be, they're going to be interesting, at least in that sense, that they're not going to be unwatchable. We worried about the Cardinals being embarrassed last week, and we had the keys to not being embarrassed, and they ended up winning. So 
I I now feel confident or at least comfortable in expecting them to not get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, and I think that's the hope, right? Like that was kind of one of the big things heading into this season was that it was like, well, this is going to be embarrassing a lot of the times, right? Right. So see them be competitive, to see them continually be in games. It'll be interesting to watch because I think the other thing is this, and and it's not something that's going to keep up. It's definitely going to change. And and I'm assuming, and you know what happens when you assume, but I'm assuming this week is where it starts to change. And that's um, they've won the first half money line every single week. And yeah. so people <laughs> and and people don't may not understand that. Uh, you know, if you're just getting into it, this is a prop bet. So basically what you're saying is that the Cardinals will win the first half. They they will it, it has nothing to do with the game, but it has to do with the fact that they will win the first half. And the Cardinals are plus three ninety to win the first half, meaning if you bet $100, you win $390, you know, so in your bet back. So you basically clo- close out with about 500 bucks on that win. Um, and they've been even bigger first half money line favorites in the first three games because nobody believed in this team. Now, again, I don't think it's going to happen this week. And that's not to say that they're going to get blown out or be down 25 at half or anything like that. But one, that's not anything sustainable. You, I don't know if in the history of the NFL, we've ever seen a team lead at the half every week. Like that's just <laughs> probably just not something that happens, but two, eventually that they're going to face a, a superior team talent wise that, is also going to understand like, hey, this team's this team's frisky. They are incredibly well coached. Something that you and I were hoping we were going to be able to say during training camp because we loved everything we saw at training camp from a coaching perspective. Like that was probably the most uh, competent coaching job, and 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 even more than competent, the hardest that we've seen these guys be coached. And probably, I mean, maybe since Arians in 2013, but probably even before that. I mean, they they were, you know, Arians coached them hard, but I don't think Arians spent the time. And you, you said it last or, you know, last episode so well, th- how how much they are, you know, teaching with a purpose and they're showing things with a purpose so that these guys get better as as the season goes along and they're prepared and that all feeds into what we've seen in the first half and like i said eventually usually talent wins out like that's just the reality of it like talent overwhelms preparation and and being well coached because at the end of the day you need the guys that you put in a position to make plays that didn't happen against the giants it did happen against the cowboys i I'm hoping that we see something more resembling the, the the commanders game. And I'm not saying from an ineptness perspective, but from a, like they're 
in the mix and they don't have a big lead and blow it type of thing. Like that, that, that we see them being competitive the whole game that they're in a position to, you know, whether it's cover the spread or even win outright that they're doing that. That's, that's my hope for this week. Well, and when we look at San Francisco as a team, they score points. They've scored exactly 30 points in each of their wins so far this season. They're both good on offense and on defense. I mean, look, their talent on offense is great. I mean, the, it continues to be that their weakest link is the quarterback because you look at the receivers. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, that's a great pair of receivers. You've got George Kittle at tight end. While he's not producing at the same level he did two, three years ago, he's still one of the best in the game. You have arguably the best running back, all-around running back in the game in Christian McCaffrey. You've got the best left tackle in Trent Williams. You've got a center that they trust. They're, now they've got questions on the right side of the line. Really the question mark, and it has been for years, is how much production do they get out of the quarterback position? And Brock Purdy has simply taken like game manager plus to the next level um like you like Brock Purdy would be if except what I think what's going with Brock Purdy is there's nothing spectacular about his game and you watch him and he's just he is just being smart he's making the right decisions and the one thing that he's better at than say Jimmy Garoppolo who has a much higher ceiling than Purdy is that his balls are generally more on target. The the 49ers with their offense, they tend to have more separation on their receiving routes than most other teams. And when Garoppolo was there, while he can make more plays than Purdy in general, um there there were an insane number of inaccurate passes that were that turned potentially big gains into meh games because he did not hit the receivers in stride or the receiver had to go back to the ball and still 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 completed the pass because there was enough separation there, but it could have been so much more. Purdy has just been exactly what they need him to be. Um, there is, I mean, he doesn't, he has, in three games, he has four, uh, four touchdown passes. He has no interceptions. Um, but it continues but to be. But like you said, they're averaging 30 points a game. That's the amazing part of yes. that statistic is that it's not impressive. It's efficient. And and you mentioned the, you know, the passes and, and my buddy Kyle Posey, who who runs Niner Nation, a guy I literally talk to every day of the week. Um, he's also a, a defensive coordinator in high school football in Arizona. So that's why I talk to him every week. Um, you know, he and I talk and one of the things that he talks a lot about just a lot about is that, um, Purdy wins a lot in the, in the intermediate. And that oh. is kind of the, that is kind of the key. He, he completed unlock- 80% of his passes last year. In right. the intermediate, that, that's the flukiest stat. I'm gonna when I talk to to Kyle on the next show, I, I I'm sure he has the numbers. If he's being as absurdly efficient in those mid throws well, this year he, as he and, was last year, and what Kyle said is that is literally the key to unlocking Shanahan's offense because what it does is it put it stresses safeties and linebackers out. So it stresses safeties out, where which then allows you to get things done down the field you know in in deep settings where you know a throw can be slightly off but they're not in a position to make a play on it 
but it stresses linebackers out, which opens up the run game for, you know, the best running back in the NFL and Christian McCaffrey, right? Like, so that's what Purdy has unlocked is that, yeah, he's, he misses. I mean, it's something we're going to talk about in a little bit. He misses on a lot of throws, a lot of throws, but he is so absurdly efficient and accurate in, in that middle or that intermediate throwing area that it allows this team to be really, really uh, multiple in every sense of the word. They can, they can beat you short, they can beat you in the intermediate, and they can beat you long. And when you do that, it stresses out defenses to the point where they can't compete. And that's what we're seeing is, you know, it's, it's just at times it's easy. And that's, I think the best way to describe it, right. Is like, it's just really easy for, for yeah. Purdy and the offense. And that's, it, you know, what you just said, why are these throws so open? Well, these throws are open because, of that stress. Like when, when you as a defense, as a linebacking core have to go, okay, we have to make sure that the middle of the field or that intermediate is covered. Cause that's typically their responsibility. Hook to curl, curl to flat, things of that nature. You go, I have to, I, I, I know my responsibility from the time I was, you know, playing youth football was always rerun first, but these guys, you mentioned it, Samuel and, and Ayuk are so athletic. They're so dynamic. And they're, I mean, they're both bigger than Christian McCaffrey. Like, they're both bigger, thicker guys than Christian McCaffrey. And so you get the ball in their hands in the intermediate, and all of a sudden it's it's a massive gain. Whereas, so, so you tend to cheat a little bit, right? So instead of lining up at five yards, you're at seven yards. And then what does that do? Well, that creates a crease for Christian McCaffrey. Whereas, <laughs> whereas the safeties, the number one rusher like, in the NFL right now, and you look at you look at their offense, they've rushed for 140 yards as a team every single game. But you look at the rushing production; it is Christian McCaffrey. They have 488 rushing yards. 353 of that come from McCaffrey alone. This is not like the Cardinals, who, who like last week rushed for 222 yards. 98 of it came from James Conner, and they're getting big plays. In fact, the rushing totals, like you've had Dobbs with some big rushes. You had Hollywood Brown in week one with a big rush. You have Rondell Moore with the 45-yard touchdown run. Their run game is Christian McCaffrey, and you're not stopping it. Right. They're daring you to stop it. That's the thing is like if you load the box, then that intermediate's wide open. And then that stresses out the safeties, which means they're playing downhill too fast, which opens up the deep game. So it's just a three level attack that most NFL teams, you know, want to be able to do. They just aren't efficient enough or, or talented enough to do it. Whereas it's it's easy for for the 49ers and that's what makes them so deadly is that you know they're they're literally a team that you can't plan for anything because because they can beat you in in multiple ways in in all these you know different fashions and and it just makes it really difficult so it's you know it's going to be a great test for the cardinals because you know like we said we're we've been very excited with how they've played through three weeks Obviously, one and two isn't the the goal result, but we've been excited with how they've played through through three weeks. But now it's like you get the best 
or the most efficient offense in the NFL because obviously Miami's offense is the best in the NFL right now. And then probably the best defense, if not one of the best defenses in the NFL. And so it's how are you going to respond and how are you going to keep up? And those are the questions that they have to answer. Yeah, and, and they've picked off defensively. They have five interceptions through three games. They haven't had the rushing. I mean, the the, the sack totals yet. Um, they've got eight on the season. Three of them that come from Drake Jackson, a guy who was extremely disappointing last year as a rookie so far through three games. Nick Bosa has one. Um, you know that's going to change. And so it's just a matter of will it change and when. You look at the defensive numbers as well. Look at the the, the the totals that they've allowed. 239, 386, 115. The 386 came against the Rams, um, who've been surprisingly efficient. You, you had the Steelers 239. You, you gave up. They gave up only 150 to the Giants. Um, and and they've, they've created... And apparently that all five of the turnovers that they've that they forced have all been interceptions. And so they're making plays and and we already know they have a, an incredibly talented defensive line and they added Javon Hargrave this year. They already have Nick Bosa and if Drake Jackson is playing at a high level, they have Eric Armstead, their linebackers, <laughs> Fred Warmer, Drake Greenlaw. This that's it's it's unfair. And, and then on top of that, they've got capable corners. Traverius Ward's pretty solid. Uh, Embry Thomas, they added he he's missed a game. And then their Satan, Tanala Fufanga, was fantastic last season. They they have talent at every single level of the defense, and that's that's going to challenge the Cardinals, especially in a, in a game they they have like kind of what's helped the Cardinals early is their ability to succeed early on offense. Yeah, that's been the big thing, as you said. It's been getting out fast and being able to compete. And they just, you know, it's one of those things. And and you know, I asked about, I asked uh, Ryan Bain, Bainbridge of of Niners Nation in our in our weekly conversation with the enemy. Um, I asked about Steve Wilkes, and I said, you know, you and I have always said he got a he got a raw deal here, but he was also way in over his head. Like both those things can be true at the same time. Um, and he, I said, what's the difference? And he said, you know, he's done a great job of blending what was already in place with some of the things he likes to do. So what they're doing um, is bringing more pressure, especially from Fred Warner and, and Hafonga. And those situations allow this team to, like you said, Nick Bosa's – and are we shocked? I mean, the guy hasn't done anything from an NFL standpoint until September 11th, right? Like he was, he literally was sitting out <laughs> the whole time and people go, well, you know, he's working out and you know, my buddies and I were talking about, it. it's like, people don't understand the live bullets are what make you, you can work out and be, but you, you need football contact. You need to go against you. You need that for the and whole football term for the hardening of the body. You need to go up against blockers. You need body-to-body contact. This is not just, it's not just conditioning. It's not just strength, but it is also contact. Right, and and so that's what, you know, Bosa's going through right now. But, it, and so that's the thing. So they're doing, they're doing it in a very similar way with, you know, some, some nuances that Wilkes brings and... It's just one of those situations that it 
it's just created and, and like you said part of it is just they have so much talent they do right like <laughs> like they were really good anyways and then they go and get javon hargrave and you're like what That's the? A, it was it was honestly that was completely unfair it should have been allowed <laughs> i know right somebody <laughs> need to step in and be like no this can't happen the, the, the fantasy owner the fans they, they need to reject that deal <laughs> you can't you can't do that but and and, and all Wilkes' scheme is is fine enough, but we've seen it. There, there have been problems with the Forest. It's not like his defense wasn't great here. He went to Cleveland. His defense was bad there. He went to Missouri. His defense was bad there. When he was with Carolina, he wasn't coaching the defense. <laughs> Technically, he he was right. an assistant head coach helping with the secondary, and then was named the interim. And so now he's gotten out. Now I I know what he I know why he picked the San Francisco job. Because the last two defensive coordinators have balled out and gotten head coaching jobs, and that is what Wilkes is eyeing, obviously. The, the funniest thing is, and, and Justin and I talk about this all the time with uh, college coaches, why, and, and, and I get why, I, I truly do, but if you're, if you're Todd Bull, or Todd Bull, sorry, Steve Wilkes, why not just be the defense coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers forever yeah, okay, so you're only going to make a million dollars a year as opposed to $5 million a year. But, like, you could have that job for life. If you wanted, yeah. And, and, and especially if they and, keep the talent and then and they're doing as well as they are. Yeah. Right, and, and and just, like, that's, that's what we always say is, like, when you're, you know, the coach of, for instance, right now, Tulane, right? And they've, they've gone from being a really bad team to a team that won the Cotton Bowl last year over USC. And people are like, oh, Willie Fritz is going to go here, here. I'm like, why not just stay in Tulane forever? Like, you don't have the stress. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. The, you you have don't to, have the pressure. Right. Like, just if you're Steve Wilkes and you can keep this defense as a top five defense, just be Dick LeBeau. Just hang out for 20 years, win, you know, win a couple Super Bowls, get all of that stuff. And then when it's all said and done, you know, like you had you go down as one of the greatest defensive minds of the generation and people lament, like, why did he never get the, a second opportunity? And you can just coyly smile and laugh and be like, huh, that's. See, they, they forgot about that stupid Cardinal situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next on the Rise Up Series podcast, the of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's look at individual matchups that we're looking at. Keys to, I don't even want to say keys to win. Keys to not being embarrassed, but keys to success for this coming up game. That's coming up next on Rise Up Series Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. Um, we have some pretty good matchups that we will watch out, and then there are obviously some things that, that the Cardinals must do to succeed. Basically what happened last week, basically what they did in, in the first half against the Giants and what they did the entire game against the, against the Cowboys is kind of what they need to do. They need points early. They need to not turn over the ball, and they need to be great in the red zone. If there are three things we can pick, those are the three things that we can pick for them, is that they need to score points early, they need to take care of the football, and they need to be great in the red zone again. This is a different animal when you've got the running game that they've got, but even even when they were able to succeed, even with the, with the Cowboys running for a lot of yards, and I think as well the run game, 
it's not just a case of, of James Conner. I think the I think the 49ers will probably do a pretty good job of, of limiting James Conner, but the Cardinals need other elements of their run game for the offense to succeed, whether that's a trick play here with Hollywood Brown or lining up Rondell in the backfield or or Dobbs taking off once or twice. Their run game is not actually it's not all about James Conner. It starts with Conner, but their run game success also is contingent upon other guys and their trick plays. Yeah, and it's big that they're able to run the ball because what it does more than anything is what it keeps that offense off the field, and that offense is just going to – I mean, it's not going to be Dallas. It's going to be more like the Giants in the second half of things, uh, or in the second half of that game. You know, that's – uh, one of my writers wrote about it. Like, you can't expect to have uh, to have a team get five red zone trips and and only score sixteen points. Like, that's just that's just not a realistic thing to expect. And so, when you look at what they are, you know, what they need to do against the 49ers, part of it is keep away, right? Like, they have to they have to keep the ball out of their hands so they're not able to go down the field and score with the efficiency that they typically do. Um, and like you said, that, that starts with the run game that starts with being able to get shot plays. Cause we we've seen that even with their shot plays, they're not exactly breaking them for, you know, 75 yard touchdowns. No, no, what, but, what, but what, Rondell Moore, if they can, if in the open field, Holy crap, he looked like we knew he was fast. Wow. He looked fast coming out of the backfield last week. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the hope, right? Like that's the hope. That's the the expectation. And then, like you said, you can't turn the ball over. I mean, w- one of the things that we've said about Dobbs the last two weeks is that he's avoided the mistakes of game one, which is, I mean, we can put it squarely on Dobbs, and and it's not Dobbs' fault because you know it was his first week in the system. His two fumbles cost the cost the game. The front, yeah, one those two fumbles, ten points off those turnovers. That was a loss. That was it. And so, you know, you need him to do that similar thing where if he takes a sack, he takes a sack. He can't try to make it. I mean, that's one of the things we've talked about, right? Like Dobbs is the guy that take the play that's there. If it's not, just take the sack and get up to, you know, if it, even if it's third down, get up and punt the ball. It's a better, it's a better option than you trying to make a play that just quite frankly he's not capable of and that's okay I mean there's a lot of quarterbacks that aren't um you know and so those are big things and then I think the key to the game and something that you know you and I talked about off the air is that when Brock Purdy makes a mistake because he makes mistakes every single game despite the fact that he has great efficiency numbers despite everything else he he throws a lot of interceptable balls. They have to. They have to. Got to get at least one. A, they got to get well, at least one. And they they can't. That's you know you go back to that that Giants game. Those first drives where where uh, I believe they went down and scored in the end. Uh, they literally had the chance three times to intercept the ball and never did it once. And you just, I mean, if you're the Cardinals, it, whether or not you win, again, is is super, super irrelevant. But 
if you want to compete, if you want to stay in the game, if you don't want to be losing, you know, 17 to three at halftime or 17 to six at halftime, those plays have to be made because what it does is it then puts even more pressure on Purdy to make plays. And that's one of the things that I don't think people understand is that Purdy's making plays without pressure and, and he's been great. I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's making plays that, that are almost like a bonus to the offense. Whereas (laughs) they haven't asked him to go win a game yet. And, and he got injured in the NFC championship game. You know, the one loss he has on his record, um, but the the interesting part of that is I think if you can get him in a hole, especially early, that it could change things. Yeah, yeah. And there's one thing we've seen, and we have to go back to a couple seasons ago with Cliff Kingsbury, is that Shanahan, even Kyle Shanahan can and does abandon the run under certain scenarios is if the defense sells out against the run and they're trailing. Remember a couple of years ago when they ended up with like 33 rushing yards in the game? Uh, the Cardinals got out to, you know, a 7-point, 10-point lead, and they sold out against the run, and they just they didn't even attempt to run the ball. Uh, they, maybe that would be different this time around with Christian McCaffrey and with Purdy at quarterback, but if you can create... If you can get a little of the lead and you sell out against the run where you're forcing the pass the ball, you can get that you can get their offense off schedule, which would be that's about as good a scenario as you can come up with. Now, matchups. Individual matchups are always fun to look at. And and I think the first one we're gonna look at is is, you know, Bosa versus Humphreys, because Humphreys has, you know, Bosa's not all the way all the way one hundred percent football ready. Or he's not like midseason form yet, but Humphreys has really had a num- has really done a number on Bosa. In fact, most of Bosa's success has come against guys not named DJ Humphreys, right? Right, and it's interesting always when that happens because you know there's no doubting the greatness of Nick Bosa. Um, uh, you know, he led the NFL in sacks last year. I think he was defensive player of the year last year, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, he was. I'm looking right now. Okay. So he was defensive player of the year last year. He was the defensive rookie of the year, same year as Kyler, was offensive rookie of the year. Um, you know, he is a guy that has, I mean, in his career, he has a nine-sack season as a rookie. He blew out his knee in the second game of his second year, then came back and had 15 and a half sacks, made the Pro Bowl, and then, was a all pro led the NFL with 18 and a half sacks last year. Like he's a freak of nature. I mean, we're talking about a guy that in five seasons, barring injury is going to be well over and close to 60 sacks in five seasons. And that's basically missing an entire season. Um, He's just a, he's a, he's a freak. And, and so when you look at those splits and you look at his career, against the the Arizona Cardinals, it's really funny that in his career, 
he has um he has three sacks two came last year in those you know beatings um and he's been fine but it's not like he's been dominant and those are those are unexpected wins right when you look at it that you say oh wow like i didn't expect nick bosa to be i mean in in seven games three sacks like if you're the cardinals you're like hell yeah that's a great that's a great outcome it's less than a sack a game like those are and we're talking again we're talking about a guy that's gonna have 60 sacks in in five years like he's a freak of nature the other things are and we've talked about the last couple of weeks as good as Micah Parsons is and, and you know there's zero doubting his greatness um he's not he he's not uh Fred Warner was that Kurt there sorry he's not Fred <laughs> Warner as a linebacker you know he's he's closer to Bosa as a disruptor than he is Fred Warner and so one of the things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks is that the Cardinals advantages have been at running back and tight end right like there that's where they could potentially win that that's not true this week no um, no the, Fred the, Warner the, card, the 49ers consistently have arguably the best linebacking core in the NFL. Um, and, and when they, when they're running uh, at least nickel, they've got Fred Ward and Dre Greenlaw on the field, both of whom are absolutely fantastic. And so, yeah, that it, it's going to be a challenge this week for sure. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I mean, you, like you said, Greenlaw, Warner, Hafonga, the safety, uh, to Gibson's been really good. And then Isaiah Oliver's had a nice resurgence after leaving Atlanta. Um, so, you know, all of those guys are are where they're gonna present issues for for Ertz and McBride and and James Conner. Um, but ironically, where they potentially do have an advantage this week is is the matchups of Michael Wilson, Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore against Charvarius Ward, who's been very good for them, and and uh, DeMadre Lenore, who I think is a rookie as well, right? Like, wasn't – is he a I think rookie? he's in year two. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're correct. No, actually year three. Uh, but he was a he was a fifth rounder. That's right. I remember and, I remember the name if you were Diamador Lenore. Yes. Yeah. And so he's he's a but he was a fifth rounder out of Oregon that's, you know, kind of turned into their Keytrail Clark, but in year three, not year one. So those are those are the offensive matchups when you look at it. Defensively, and you hate, hate, hate saying this. I don't know where the Cardinals have any type of advantage. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you just you just look at it from you know. From, I, I think the one area you look at is what they do over over right tackle. So your combination of Cameron Thomas, Victor Demikaji, Dennis Gardeck against Colton McKivitz is is where you watch for pressure. There, obviously, Zayvon Collins going against. Trent Williams, good luck. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> you can hope you can hope to set the edge in the run game, for there. But I, at that, th- their questions come on the right side of the offensive line. So if you can, if you can get 
performances like we've seen because Thomas has been good this year. Victor Dimikagi, two and a half sacks in three games, has been particularly I mean, consistent. I, I was going to say, and, and obviously f- uh, the way you look at it, scenarios is is really, you know, but Dimikagi's basically been great this season. Now, of course, it's great for Di- Victor Dimikagi, but <laughs> at the same time... He's been incredibly surprised for a guy that, that, that fans were absolutely just dumping on. And to a guy that the coaches in pre- before liked, these coaches like and are getting production out of him. Yeah, and so you look at that, like you said, that's one. The other big one, and I, I think this is the biggest one is that this is a situation where it just might and and you know we're not trying to be doom and gloom but it might be too much for this team to overcome the fact now that Jonathan Ledbetter may not play like how How many how many defensive linemen can we go through Right, like that's a genuine, realistic question. Like, how much more can this team just take? And and you know, you now you're talking about literally their three top interior linemen. Now, you know, he's not out for for sure, so it's no, it's nothing to. But he didn't practice today. It's we're recording on a Thursday. That's a huge, huge thing to watch because, as just said, Aaron Banks, Jake Brindle, Spencer Buford are Buford are all good players. They're also all much less good than Trent Williams. So, you know, between the guys coming off the edge against McKivitz and then whoever is manning the interior that's the expectation and the need for this team. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to overcome another interior line injury. Like it's just, it's asking so much from this team. So, (laughs) so they're going to need, I mean, they're going to need an otherworldly performance from Kaiser white, similar to what we saw last week. Um, for them to keep up with Christian McCaffrey. And and if McCaffrey has a similar game to Tony Pollard, where you're talking about, you know, 20 plus carries to get um, 115 yards, I think that's not a bad thing. Um, You know, even though you're saying, well, it's over five yards a carry, that's not great. Yeah, but then they're not throwing the ball. So, you know, what you and I kind of laughed at last week where it was like what was mike mccarthy doing on that last drive like he didn't throw the ball once he kept trying to run the ball that's uh (laughs) gonna be a very very different conversation with with the niners uh because i i don't see that happening with shanahan i just don't like he's just he's too good of a coach but you know we'll see how how it turns out and and where that they can win, but you know, they're going to need otherworldly performances from Marco Wilson and Keetrell Clark. Um, they're going to need Jalen Thompson to continue to be really, really good. And then they're going to need guys like, 
Andre Chasher and Kevon Wallace to continue to play kind of above their ability throughout their career. And, and, you know, all of that is saying that's just to stay in the game, right? Like that's just to stay competitive. It's a really, really hard matchup because of just how talented and efficient this team is. But like we said at the outset, if you're able to, force brock purdy to beat you meaning that you get turnovers early you can sell out to stop the run and then force brock purdy even though those receivers are insanely talented and you can force brock purdy to throwing the ball consistently that's your best that's your best bet uh that that's your that's your best way to win a game and no teams have really done that um None have done it this season, and, and we haven't seen much of it throughout the, his career. Come, come to the next on the Rise of Sea podcast, Mr. Cardinals Talk on the web. Let's move on, make our picks, our predictions, and talk a little bit about the props that we're looking at. That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals Talk on the web. Time to make our predictions. Um, I think it's going to be overly optimistic and probably on the delusional side to to make a legitimate prediction for a Cardinals win. However, however, do we think the Cardinals can cover that 14-point spread? Personally, I do. What do you think? I I feel more confident about it than I did last week where I thought they had no shot to do it, and then obviously they just won outright. Um but I still feel like they're going to have to do some of the things that we're going to bet on and that we've talked about in order to do so. Like, and so, you know, the first one for me, and I know you're looking at it too, is something we talked about. Brock Purdy at times has been careless with the ball. His to throw an interception, which he has not done this year, his his to throw an interception is plus 270 on DraftKings. Smash it. Smash the because the Cardinals have picked off the pass every single game this season. Um and I think you know having him throw one interception in four games doesn't make him a bad quarterback, but he's due. He's due to turn the ball over and the Cardinals have been good at it. They've gotten the, let's put it this way. They have 23. They put they've gotten their hands. They've defended 23 passes this year through three weeks. They've gotten their hands on 23 passes. That is second in the NFL. And so if they continue to make plays on the ball like that, they're going to end up with the ball in their hands. Yeah, and, and that's why I said. I mean, you look you look back, and, and I know especially Niners fans have been very uh, critical of pro football focus. And, and what people consider a turnover-worthy play or a turnover-worthy throw. But when you look at what Brock Purdy did, he had two turnover-worthy plays in the first drive against, um, against the Giants. And he had two turnover-worthy plays against the Steelers. So again, this goes back to what we said, which isn't that the Cardinals are going to cause him to make a bad throw or an errant throw, but he has been prone to making those throws. 
So the Cardinals have to take advantage because that's the thing. In four in three games, he's got four turnover worthy throws. So the Cardinals have to take advantage of that because if they don't, then then not only are we going to lose the bet, but that's when it becomes very unlikely to me that they're going to cover the 14 points. And, and my take on the the result, okay? I still have the 49ers scoring 30 points. <laughs> I think, though, I think the Cardinals, especially with their efficiency on offense to start games, um, their ability to protect the football, I think they can get to 20 points. You know, I, I think it'll be... 30 to 20, the Cardinals won't, will, will only be, th- and throughout the game, will only be threatening. They'll never be, like, the 49ers will be always in control, but the Cardinals will be threatening. And and, and I think that's kind of, aside from a, a shock the world win, that's kind of what, at, at best, that's kind of what we want to see. We want to see the Cardinals, you know, threatening even though they're outmatched. And you look at it, I, you know, one of the things that I really like this week again is, you know, and, and you and I joked about it off the air, but, you know, Matt Prater's over four and a half points. Four and a half, game. yes. Hammer it. Hammer it. Uh, Especially because the Cardinals, like, Fortnite is going to be good in the red zone. So if the Cardinals move the ball at all, they're going to end up with, they're going to end up with a field goal attempts. And like my, my pick of 20 points, that means two Prater field goals, right? So that's and then a couple extra points. So that's getting eight points. That's easy. That's easy, right? And and so, you know, you look at it, Prater, his field goals made is over one and a half, and that's plus money, plus one sixty. So you know you can fire on that on the kicking points over four and a half, and then double dip and go in with his his over field goals made because like Jess and I said, like this isn't a game that I'd be shocked to see him make four field goals right right like <laughs> like and, and you know they they end up scoring 19 and four of those are, are matt prater field goals completely uh, and and so like that's the way you know you have to look at it so i would i would hammer the the prater over one and a half field goals which is plus 160 that gives you some some interesting options i don't trust well. any of the passing totals 229 no. and a half for Purdy, 188 and a half for Dobbs. I'm not touching those. Those are two very like <laughs> I don't know. Those those are I, very right it, on to where they're going to be throwing. If you want to take one, I would take the under on Dobbs. That's the only thing I would do. He's not hit that yet this year. Um and this is the best defense he's going to play, but like just said it's it's a tough. I I I wouldn't I would stay away from it. I would stay away from Purdy because it could be a situation where if they're in a blowout, they don't let him throw the ball, right? Like, why even let him throw it? Joshua Dobbs, 16 and a half rushing yards. That seems like an easy one this week. Yeah, the way they've used him the last couple weeks and the way he's, you know, been able to. And the 49ers do give up quarterback runs. Right. The way they've been efficient with it. I think, I think that makes sense. Um, you and I also talked about off the air, and one I like is that uh, Christian McCaffrey over 17 and a half yards for his longest run. We've seen, I mean, and again, especially if uh, if Jonathan Ledbetter's out, like you're talking about 
street free agents manning the Cardinals defensive line. Um, I know they're going to play hard. I know they're going to be well coached. I know they're going to be in position to make plays. That doesn't mean they're going to like, that's just the reality of the situation. So I would, I would, uh, I would take that. It's minus minus one ten. It's a good, you know, it, it feels like a good bet there. Um, and then the last one that I really like, and, and again, I use, you know, SB nations, uh, sponsored by DraftKings. Cardswire, the USA Today wire sites are sponsored by BetMGM. So there's, you know, great stuff on either one. Go, like Justice said before, if you're on <laughs> if his you're site. If you're on my side, do BetMGM. If you're on Seth's side, do DraftKings. It makes it's it's beneficial to everyone. But on DraftKings this week, they have a really intriguing prop bet or we what they call their weekly special. And to be fair, they haven't had any of these for the Cardinals all season, and I don't blame them. Like because they felt like they were just going to lose money, and now that the Cardinals look competent, they're like, oh, okay. So, uh, it's a plus seven hundred. So it's a parlay, uh, and it's Christian McCaffrey over one hundred yards from scrimmage, so rushing and receiving. How he mixes and matches that doesn't matter. If he has sixty and and forty five, you you win. Uh, he has one rushing touchdown, so that is the key. So if he has a receiving touchdown, you don't win. But if he has a rushing touchdown, you win. And Debo Samuel over 100 receiving yards. Um, we that's, saw that's the tricky one. Debo didn't yeah. practice second day in a row. And we saw well, typically what they do if if Debo doesn't play, they will um, refund your bet, or they'll take. I'm assuming on a special like this, they'll just refund your bet, and you it doesn't matter if the other two legs hit. But on other ones, they'll they'll void that and then like reduce the amount of money you win so instead of it being plus 700 it'd probably be plus 300 or something like that um the way that michael gallup was used last week is like a uh, watered down version of how debo samuel is used right and so if he's on the field if he's playing that's what i would be looking at because it's going to be i think they're going to really focus on on getting him the ball and really being efficient with him. Um, you know, he is just such a talented, talented guy, a uh, really fun player to watch a guy that, you know, it would be fun to have a guy like him. I know they're trying to get Rondell Moore to be used in a similar way, but at the same time, while Moore is a much faster straight line guy, he is not in the same vein as, as uh, Debo Samuel in terms of size where Debo's built like, a running back. The one thing I couldn't find on on either one is an anytime touchdown by any because if there were one for James Conner, I'd put one. Uh, anytime yeah. touchdown on Conner, but I cannot find any anytime touchdown props for this game. There are no scoring props at this time on mine either, so it's not it it that typically happens when there's a lot of guys that are on the injury report. Because they don't want to have. That's to true. Connor is on the injury report, so yeah. So like your big time players, Connor, Ayuk, um, and Debo Samuel, Samuel, all all were on the injury report this week, so they're not going to see any props on them until until they're ruled that they're going to play. Right, and so it's not you know it's not surprising right now, but keep an eye on it because like like just said, it's if if the Cardinals are going to score a touchdown, it's probably going to be James Connor. Yep. Um, what is your final score prediction? I've got 30 to 20 49ers. 
Yeah, I'm going to go 31-19. I think that I think Cover the, 49- the spread. Yeah, I think the I think the the Cardinals are able to uh, get a cheap one in the fourth quarter and and end up you know covering the spread. <laughs> Not as cheap as 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 the Rams <laughs> field goal to go from a ten point deficit to a seven point deficit at the end of the game. That that's not quite as cheap as that, but why not? Why not? That that worked for me. That did not work for Seth when that happened in week two. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Seared Podcast, episode four sixty seven. And um then we will have another edition with Kyle Madsen, uh guest from Niners Wire. We'll will be tomorrow, the next day that you or the same day, depending on when you ever listen to it. But We'll be back again with Seth next week to talk about the Cardinals and 49ers game next Tuesday night. You'll probably hear it on Wednesday. That's Seth Cox. I'm Just Root. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Whoa!